Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Gregor Salmon is a Sydney-based freelance feature writer and author. He's written for many Australian magazines, including Sunday Life, Inside Sport, Ralph, Reader's Digest and Playboy. He's also worked as a producer in television for Beyond Productions and The Morning Show on Channel 7, and an online producer for Channel 7 and Yahoo 7. His first book was Heart, Soul, Fire, which he wrote with boxer Paul Briggs. His latest book is Poppy, Life, Death and Addiction Inside Afghanistan. Opium trade, the story of Afghanistan's thriving poppy and heroin trade. Gregor spent eight months in Kabul in 2007 and spoke to farmers and harvesters, smugglers and crooked cops, addicts and doctors, investigating every layer of this lucrative drug trade. Thanks for joining us today, Gregor. Oh, thanks for having me, Valerie. Now you started off in sports journalism, is that right? How did how did you get started as a writer? Well, yeah, I I, get, I had my first full time job in uh, in in sports journalism. It was in a uh, youth magazine. Was my first full time job was um, as an assistant editor and and sub editor for uh, some skiing and snowboarding titles. Uh, which was a great environment to to work in. You know, I worked with guys who were on uh, on tracks and ways, and it was a great environment. A whole bunch of young guys who were working on magazines and who were really into writing and and into photos and the whole magazine business. And but my first, um, I guess, the first time I was published, the first real. Um, trigger for working in magazines is when I did some work experience in London, and I um, I, was, I had two weeks at GQ magazine, mm. during which I sat next to an, an editor called Michael the Mullen, who was credited with really transforming the magazine at that at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, he was such a I was just I, I was just so impressed with the way he he went about things. He was such a dynamo. He was so on it. And yet he just he was really um, mindful about what I was there to to do, and he just showed me a few things and introduced me a few things. He got me to appraise stories, and and I'm, I will never forget reading the first feature. He asked me to, no, um, he actually put me in touch with the features editor, and he and he said, um, uh, have a read of this and let me know what you think. And it was a story about story about Marseille, mm-hmm. and um, and and. It, it was just so gripping. It had this fantastic introduction, and, and it was such an awesome story. And that, at that point, I realised not only that I wanted to work for magazines, I had wanted to write up until then. But it was then I realised that I wanted to I wanted to be a feature writer. 
Wonderful. So it wasn't just to hang out with a bunch of surfies or anything like that, because I know you're yeah. deserving as well. <laughs> no, I think well that was after when I came home after the, that, that experience in London um, and wanted to work in magazines. That was my entry entry job, mm. and you know that enabled me to learn the business of, of publishing and magazines, but mm. also to. You know, start to find my feet as a writer and, and work on my craft as as a feature writer because it was it was fantastic. I was able to do do trips. I was I was I would go to France or Austria and and then had to sit down and write you know a feature story about it. So it was it was kind of like a a, a travel piece. But um, you know, I I had I aspired to be a, a better writer and and this was a, a great vehicle and a great environment in which to to further that ambition. And how do you hone your craft as a feature writer, do you think? I think it's, a, it's about sort of um, getting across a whole bunch of, of tools. Um, one is, is the um, is, is just power of observation, mm. your sense of what the story is about, your curiosity as to um, you know, what is of interest in, 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 in relation to the, the story. Because sometimes, you know, writing, writing a feature, you can you can find yourself you know, interested in a little you know, angle or side you know, sideline, which um, which can be quite revealing if you pursue it a bit further. So it's 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 a question about sort of being open eared and open minded, and and to um, yeah, to to try and get a sense and to uh, about what is at the heart of the story, and it gives you a bit of room um, to write. Without, you know, and there is a risk of being self-indulgent sometimes. But mm. I think it's just the the ability to 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 um, to inter- you know, to work out who you need to speak to, how many, you know, when is enough interviews, mm. um, you know, when when have you got the story? Because you know you you can't just get the story after a couple of interviews. So it's it's a question of how how much you need, what information you need, and then sitting down and, 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 and writing it. The composition of a feature, what you want to start with. And I think with feature writing, it's, um, you know, I've always, you know, and I've, I've got some great experience inside sport doing this under, under another mentor of mine, Greg Hunter. And that is, you know, a feature writer, you're there not to just inform but to entertain. And I think it's, it's something I've, I've held as as a as a rule throughout my writing career, and that that is that no one has to sit down and read your story. Mm. No one has to. No one, you know, you, you could be writing a story about um, something that is completely out of someone's usual frame of interest. So you have to write something which will get them into reading your piece. Mm. Then then within that story, find them. Find um, then find themselves actually interested in what you're writing about. So, you, so you, it's, it's the power of bringing in someone cold to a to a story that they end up finding interesting, and then finish the story feeling well. That was that was interesting. That was a good read. That was a good story because they feel informed and they felt entertained enough to keep reading through it. And I think that's that's been a, a, a rule that I've try to uh, stick to and that's extended into books as well yeah so speaking of books your first book um, you wrote about boxer Paul Briggs how did this come mm. about and why were you interested in in writing a book after doing features for so long 
Well, I think it's the next it's the next progression, and to to again to test myself, challenge myself as a writer. Um, I think most writers have you know some aspiration. It could be quieter in some than others, mm. but you know they. I think most writers harbour a desire to to write a longer piece and to write a book, and um, and I did want to do that. And a, a friend of mine had recommended me to a publisher, and we had a meeting. I sent, I, got, I handed over a bunch of features that I'd written, and and then from that, you know, a few months later, she called me up and and said, "Look, we're looking at this project. This guy called Paul Briggs." Um, I think you'd be good for it. Um, I think that I think someone else had knocked it back, you know, and and so so I was I wasn't sort of first in, in line. But I I when I found out more about his story, what interested me was 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 that also it was it was a story about a an interesting life, mm. and you know, and I had wanted to move away out of sport. I mean, I, as much as sport had given me the opportunity to. To hone my writing craft, I didn't want to stay writing just about sport. Mm. Oh, and this book was a great um, bridge for me in that respect. So mm. I met Paul and we clicked, um, and we basically just, I just said, "Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it." And um, you know, I had to go through a couple more hoops to to get the gig. But um, you know, from the time of meeting him, it was it was. Uh, Okay, now I'm I'm starting to work on a book, and so I I pretty much approached it in the same way as I approached a feature story. In that mm. I, I, I was basically said, okay, right, I need to get all all this information through inter- interviews. I I spoke with family members and friends and all that kind of thing, and and did did my whole sort of you know uh, had a whole list of people who I needed to speak to, and mm. and once I've done that, then I I spent a couple of months actually living with him and and his family. Mm. Uh, and uh, interviewing him on the day, almost on a daily basis. But the volume of information for a book is massively <laughs> different to the volume of information for a feature. How did you mm. manage that, or did you chunk it down into bits, or how did you make that actually yeah. workable? Well, look when you look at when you look at the, the the scale of a book from from page one or from word one. It's just so daunting. It's immense, and mm. and it's really, really off-putting. <laughs> and you know, but it's it's a one step at a time. You know, and and essentially, I found myself okay. I've I've, I've got all my interviews. I've pulled out the the, the various storylines from all the different interviews. And I've laid out the strata of the story, mm. and and then sorted mm. sorted the chapters out. And and essentially, these chapters became like extended feature stories. Yeah. They were they they they. They might carry something that hinted at what was to come in a further chapter down the track, um, but in essence, you know, it was a chapter. It was, it was a, a chapter by chapter um, progress. Mm. Um, so it, you, you know, it's a it's really laborious job. The process of writing, it's like it really is like digging a ditch in a way. It's very mm-hmm. sort of you have, you have to keep going one shovelful at a time, and mm. eventually, you get something that has a semblance of a book, and then you keep going and then it, you've got a manuscript at the end. And did you at the time combine that with your magazine writing work? Yeah, well, I think with, with Paul's book, it was I, I wrote it in the first person. So I, I, and he was really articulate and I was blessed to have him as, mm. as, as him as subject because he was articulate, he was 
smart and he was philosophical and he was candid, he was really open. So I was able to, sort of, to get him to talk about many aspects of his life, some, a lot of which were really uncomfortable. Mm. And um, you know, one of the, one of which was his abuse as a child. And mm. he, he, uh, he, he, there was a lot where it was almost just his own words that, that I was putting putting down, mm. you know, edited. And I had to try and keep the book uh, in his voice. Yeah. So I, I, I had a voice after having listened to him and that kind of stuff um, that uh, that I tried to maintain through the book, mm. and so that was a challenge because I, it wasn't. So that meant talking, you know, in writing in a in a, in a conversational way, mm. and 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 using a although Paul's got a, got a great vocabulary, it, it was it was I was never going to put in things or words that someone's going to have to look up a dictionary to find, you know, that kind of thing. It was about yeah. sort of choosing words that were, that could convey the message, in, even complex messages or, you know, or, or deep and what, and philosophical messages in really simple ways. And, and I think that was, that was part of the challenge was to sort of keep that voice running through. Mm. So now, Poppy, you're writing about opium. What mm. in the world <laughs> made you decide to write about this? How did this start? Well, it was it was the follow up to the, to writing Paul's book. I was I was I was up for an adventure essentially. I wanted to go out and, and write something experiential, somewhere right. where I, I I would go and and see and and gather see things and speak to people, gather information, and write write a book that was that was um, that I delivered from first hand experience. Mm. The subject of opium you know, came up, and, and thought that was a you know I was checking with the publishers, and, and they and the subject of opium came up, and it was like well, that would be a great story. And so mm. I thought, well, my initial thought was, okay, well that's to do that. It's um, I, they said, well, so how how would you write this? And so I went away and thought about it, and, and I thought, well, I'll go to the producer country and I'll speak to people and I'll follow the chain. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll just do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, then I thought it was just going to be, well, I thought it was going to be Southeast Asia and, you know, because that's where most of Australia's heroin comes from. Mm. Um, and I didn't want to sort of pursue it to the street end in Sydney or, or Melbourne. Mm. Um, I just wanted to, to, to focus on the producer country and what was going on there. Mm. Um, and then, but when I researched the proposal, I realised that Afghanistan was not just a, another producer, it was producing 87% of the world's opium at that stage. Mm. So if I was going to write a book about opium, I wanted to write the modern story of opium. Mm. So to do that, I had to go to Afghanistan. Mm. And initially, I was going to go to Southeast Asia after, after Afghanistan, but um, when I got to Afghanistan, <clears throat> it proved to be, you know, quite a challenge that, um, you know, that I just I had to reduce it down to the one country and to try and get that story. Mm, mm. Now, Afghanistan must be one of the world's most dangerous countries. Were you um, in uh, commonly in situations that were that were life threatening or dangerous or bizarre? Mm. Well, I think yeah, it, it is it is dangerous, and um, there's no question about that. And but it is it's kind of like saying. Uh, New York's a dangerous city. Mm. There are there are there there are there are certain qualifications you can make about that. You know, you, there are certain um, say Kabul. You know, I um, I would walk around the streets of Kabul and 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 um, 
you know, it, there was it just seemed normal. People were going back doing all their all their whatever they had to do, mm. and and people, <clears throat> if I was wearing Western clothing, they would they would look at me and and was welcome and they were welcoming, mm. and that they were pleased to see me out in the streets. Um, it didn't mean that I wasn't watchful or apprehensive or tense because wherever you are, you know that 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 bombs are going off around the city mm. and you could just be in the wrong place at the wrong time. So you're mm. ever watchful. Mm. So you're not fully relaxed. And and then when you go out to out to provinces, like I've planned, I've, I lived in Kabul and then I've planned trips out to um, different areas of the country. And you know that um, it's very unpredictable. Things do happen. It could just be bandits, it could be Taliban, it could be anyone, you know, pulling the car up or stopping mm. here or there or whatever. Um, and the Taliban at the time had had basically declared open season on, on foreigners. They were specifically trying to get more and more. Because this was at the time when the Koreans, 20-odd Koreans, were, 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 um, were kidnapped. Mm. And the Taliban had twigged onto this idea that uh, this was a great way for publicity and a great way to earn money. And so they, they basically said, get as many foreigners as you can. Mm. So when you go out of the Kabul, you know, obviously you know that that's the case. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a question of finding the people to trust to go with in the first place. And then, you know, I guess you take calculated risks. And there was there were some areas where I just didn't travel around freely at all because mm. it's just too, too dodgy. Mm. You spent eight months in Kabul and you spoke to lots of different types of people you know, mm. researching this book. How open were they uh, to talk to you and to give you information about about the opium trade? It really depend on, depended on what their role was. Mm. Um, farmers were very open because they've got, a, they've got a situation that they want to convey. Mm. Um, they're not the ones that are making a lot of money out of it. They're living a, subsist, they're living a subsist, subsistence life. And um, you know, and you know, it's not just a crop for them; it's a financial system. So, it's, so they they want want to make their their situation understood to people who come asking questions about it. Um, some are hostile because of eradication issues and that kind of stuff. But if you go about the things the right way, then then the, and get to the farmers at ground level, then they will talk to you quite freely. Mm. Um, Smugglers, small-time smugglers, will, will I spoke to. They they were quite open about what they were doing, and, and it was just kind of like a you know, guy running a little hardware store. You know, this is just what this is just the business I'm in, kind of a thing. Mm. Once you get up to um, you know, I you know to uh, the uh, more serious aspects of um, uh, the involvement of, of senior officials, mm. uh, the involvement of police. Um, the uh, and what have you? Then, then people, you know, I'll, people put their their lives at stake just to speak to me, and, I, and and they only did so once. You know, I they'd been assured that I wasn't going to identify them, that I wasn't going to use their name, and that they could talk candidly. Sometimes that just didn't. Um, you know, it would be in the midst of an interview, and then they'll just clam up, they'll get uncomfortable, and just reconsider that to say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it right. um, and and get up and, and walk or just, just stop the interview. And that's understandable because, mm. you know, I'm, I'm in and out, you know, I'm, I'm out of the country, I don't mm. have to live there. But if, if, that, if, it, if sometimes if people felt, if people felt that if 
just by talking to me, mm. or if people knew that they were talking to me, then, then they'd be killed or their families would be killed. Mm. It's just not a very, you know, this, this, this is what happens to people who talk openly about corrupt um, officials who are involved in the drug trade. Mm-mm. Now, a book like Poppy must need a lot of research. So apart from the time you spent living in Afghanistan, what other kind of research did you do? Where, where did you get your information? Well, I started with with, um, with books, mm. and um, I read a few books, and I subscribed to um, uh, Moby Updates, which is a, a, a free news service which uh, emails you a whole bunch of stories from Afghanistan every day, or about Afghanistan every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Google alerts for, for APM and for Afghanistan. Um, so I had, a, had a, a, you know, a lot of information, a lot of stories coming in. Mm. And it's quite a, you know, I, I, I didn't have everything clear in my head when I went into the country. Mm. You know, it, 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 the history, the politics, what's gone on there since, 9/11. It's a very, very complicated um, to, you know, thing to to try and absorb, and, and and even after months there, I still couldn't get my head around it um, because the uh, yeah, so it's a very complex, um, the complex it's a, a matrix of political, social, historical things going on in Afghanistan that make it a tough thing, tough thing to to get your head around. Mm. So you know, so I, as much as I had read. It kind of it, it did help, but it it felt like it provided a faint backdrop of memory mm. for the actual experience of landing in the country, and then you know when you start talking to people and then they start to talk about someone like Masood or talk about you know, Ishmael Khan or or other figures who or Dostum who have, who have featured in Afghanistan's recent history, mm. that these figures start to take on a you know, more of a personality, and and and, and more of a um, I guess a, a more solid figure in, in in your mind, and you start to sort of develop a, I guess a clearer framework of what's been going on. And when you finally sat down to write the book, did you then decide to focus on it full time, or did you combine it with your uh, magazine writing and other journalistic, you know, endeavours. Well, I I had a job um, for I spent all of two thousand and eight writing and wow. I um I had a, a part time job for three days a week working uh, for for the morning show as a, as an editorial producer, just mm-hmm. a TV show, um, you know, producing editorials and. And so I'd, I'd be working there uh, three days a week, and then the four days a week I'd be uh, working on a book. So I really didn't have any time off. And when you when you have a book, it's it's you know it's kind of like a it's a twenty four seven thing. Yeah. It's really obsessive, <laughs> and and it's kind of like having a jealous wife because you feel <laughs> it's, 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 you're, if you're not at home, then you should be at home. You know, if you, yeah. you know there's this feeling of if if you're not Tending to it, yeah. you feel guilty that you're not, and 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 it's this thing that quite um, just grabs a hold of you in in in, in such an all-consuming way that you, you know that I I could be with people, but my head would be somewhere in the book, and and that was that went on until I until um, I could do no more with mm. the book, and we we finished the whole editing process. But I think what was 
what was good about that the job too was that it was able, I was able to sort of turn up, do my job, and then and not have to, not have to do anything else. Mm. If, I, I I couldn't have I didn't really want to do any feature writing mm. or freelance writing while I was writing the book because a mm. you know that's laborious in itself doing interviews, transcribing, yep. and then you know, and pitching ideas to to people and and it's it's you need a lot of to do a lot of legwork and and it's and and then the actual creative exercise of writing the story itself, I just felt that, A, you know, the money ain't great mm. and it's it's quite time-consuming and it, it's taking the sorts of um, energies that I want to, to reserve, um, I, I want to reserve those creative energies and writing energies for the book. Mm. Um, I didn't want to be looking at or thinking of other stories to write because mm. I only had one story to write and that was the book. So when you finally did get to the end and you could type the end, <laughs> um, mm. did the jealous wife go away or did you feel liberated or did you feel a sense <laughs> of loss because it was over or how, how did you feel? Well, I think there was, there was, yeah, it was a, it's a weird feeling. It's a sort of a, a quiet sense of, of having, having finished yes. and, you know, and, and a quiet sort of pride in, in that mm. and, and, and yeah, the jealous wife um, uh, wasn't so uh, <laughs> low vocal. <laughs> it had, you know, just to some extent, she'd been sort of pacified, and 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 home life was good. <laughs> um, there was yeah, it, it, and it becomes uh, a sense that you know I never thought this day would come that mm. I would. I, I could write no more about this. That that's it. That's that's it. The book is going to be printed now, mm. um, and that's quite a, a strange feeling because, yeah, I'm a man, but I think you know this. This is the only thing that could come close to me having a baby. Is that I've <laughs> I've, I've been so um, involved, and and it's it's such a huge part of me put mm. into this, and mm. it's the biggest thing I've ever done in my life, and the most challenging thing professionally and personally. Mm. And for that, it's great, but it's still full on and taken a lot out of me. And and I think, yeah. So now I see it going from this sort of almost a private um, endeavour into a, becoming a product, a book that mm. sits in a bookshop and mm. bookstore, and people can or, or cannot buy, <laughs> do or don't buy it. They can or they do or don't read it, and they do or don't like it, and they do or don't say they like it, or they say they don't like it. Um, and it's really, it's quite an a, a unusual process. That's why I did go through that through with Paul's book as well. Mm. But I think this one, I've just, I guess I've invested a lot more personally mm. uh, in it. And so it's it's kind of a weird, a strange uh, sort of process of transition, seeing it go from a private um, project into something that's, that's, that's out there for the public to um, assess. So now that you've had this baby, is there another one in the wings? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of um, <laughs> but I might do something like, you know, um, you know, the murky world of the uh, World Badminton Pro Tour or something like that. <laughs> you know. um, something a little, little bit less uh, um, uh, dangerous. I don't, I don't really have a, 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 a danger, you know, sort of a, a last to go and pursue, you know, um, the dangerous stories or whatever like that, but I think for this, I think I've, I've I've kind of seen that aspect off with this book. You know, you know, 
there, there was a sense where I had no nothing holding me down, nothing holding me back, and mm. and and this and this was even during the most frustrating times and and dangerous times. Just, just I never lost sight of the fact that this was the the best job in the world for me. Um, I, you know, it, it's back from when I was working in magazines. If you mm. said down the track you you're going to be you know, in Afghanistan um, with an advance from a publisher. Uh, to write a book about the opium trade, I would have. I don't care what happened in between. That's just what, what exactly I would have loved to be doing. Wonderful, and I have no doubt that people are going to love it. I was lucky enough to be on your email distribution list when you were in Afghanistan, <laughs> and I remember hanging off every word, thinking this is going to be a book one day. This is going to be a book one day, <laughs> and and I haven't finished your book yet, but I'm still hanging on every word that I've read so oh, well. far. So I'm loving it. So on, on that, on a final note, what would your advice be to aspiring writers who want to research and, and write their own non-fiction book like this? Well, I think, a, you know, you've, you've, you've just got to... Encouragement is one of the most important things in writing, you know, and, you know, I think you know, once you set out to write a book, you know, at some stage you've, 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 you've probably, probably had some some encouragement from other people that, hey, you can write, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's that's something that you, you really it really pays to, to, to take that into yourself and to you, and rather than to have to seek that externally because really with a, with a, with a, with a, a book that becomes really, really challenging in, in terms of, of what, what you do, you really have to sort of say, well, is, <clears throat> this, is, this is really what I want to do. This is really what I want to do and be very determined. Keep going, keep going, keep going because, you know, a lot of things that I don't mention in the book, there's a lot of, a lot more obstacles to to me get getting it, and um, no one. Obviously, my publisher wanted wanted me to write a book, mm. um, and there were a lot of people who who, who were supportive, but a lot of people just don't care. You know, you know <laughs> your, your your book doesn't matter down to anyone to, to a lot of people, um, but you know, I think that's the thing: just be patient, mm. be determined, be uh, but not arrogant. And because I think if, it's, if you're talking about a book where you're going to another country to, to explore an issue there, then you know, I think there's a, there's a, 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 you, know, you get a lot of, lot of mileage out of um, you know, just being respectful and polite to, to, the pe- to those people because mm-hmm. that's something that I gained from doing a lot of travel, I think. You know, it's just, just the, the ability is to, to go in and, and listen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think for the purposes of writing a book, you just got to be determined. Perfect advice. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Gregor. Pleasure, Valerie. Thanks very much for having me. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.